Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Please be seated. Now, one of the most dramatic scenes in the life of Jesus comes in those final moments before his crucifixion and uh, uh, the final moments of his crucifixion, rather, and also uh, those events immediately following after his death. It all happens so fast. Jesus cries out with a loud voice, it is finished, and so it is, and he yields up his spirit. And at that moment, it becomes a bystander's nightmare. The temple's curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. A destructive earthquake shakes and splits rocks. Tombs are opened such that the the saints are, are raised from the dead and they show up all over Jerusalem. What a sight that would be. It's no wonder that the soldier and the other witnesses to the death of Jesus uh, are left in awe and left only to confess Jesus as the Son of God. It was all too real, all too shocking to deny him. The prayer of today's gospel comes in the quiet before that storm. Jesus prays to the Father in the very hour that soldiers are getting ready in the riot gear of that day. We're told that they come with torches and various weaponry. In this hour, Judas has also committed himself to turning Jesus over, and yet the disciples are clueless to this horrible reality. Now when the soldiers come, And when they come with Judas and they break the silence of that night, it's then that the disciples learn for the very first time what he'd been up to, betraying Jesus, betraying his brother disciples. Now the night raid would see some action. Peter draws his sword. I'm sure you are familiar with the text. And he opposes the force. But in the end... They eventually all just run away. Jesus would later describe the hour that had come as the hour and power of darkness. But as we heard, Jesus also frames this evil event in this way. He prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And since Jesus is expecting all these things, we too must expect it as he does and not see this as a situation that's gone sideways. All things are going as Jesus anticipates. All that happened to Jesus is going as expected. And this, this is a lesson in and of itself, that whatever we might experience in this life, call it good or bad, How we must understand it is through how Jesus sees us and not how we see ourselves. We must see it through the lens of how God takes care of us in the midst of all things, good or bad. Jesus sees the world as worth redeeming and permits the bad for the sake of the good. 
We are likewise called to live in the world as Jesus does and permit all kinds of evil against us for the sake of promoting and living out our Christian convictions. Jesus shows us how to do this well. In fact, Jesus is perfect at it. Jesus is, after all, the high priest who is the overseer of our souls, our mediating Messiah, and the redeemer of our flesh. This is what he has come to do. How he sees the world and us in it is expectantly different from how we sinfully dismiss ourselves from the world's antics. Jesus does not dismiss us from the world, the devil, or our sinful nature. Instead, Jesus gives us himself as the means to prosper in perilous times. He gives us himself for the antidote to the world's antics. He gives us himself as the cure for sin. We see this in how he deals with the world. Jesus does not dismiss them from the world's care, or maybe to say it better, how he cares for the world. And we might not think that's the case given how overtly anti-world his prayer seems to be. And in part true. But in just four verses, Jesus dismantles the world and exerts his authority over it. Listen to what he says in his prayer. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. I am no longer in the world, but the people whom you gave me, they are in the world. Jesus has a compassion for those who are still in this fallen world. On the surface, it may seem as though Jesus is ready to check out a type of senioritis. Got to add that into a college campus, senioritis, right? Almost as if he's fed up, which is probably true to a certain extent. Lord of all the living, fed up with sin? Yeah, but he's the remedy. But it's not quite like that. It's more like Jesus is prepared to do what is necessary for your sake. Jesus is ready, ready to save the world, ready to save those who are in the world and believe in him. He is ready to be glorified and to glorify the Father by having accomplished the work given him to do. Now the world, and you've heard this so many times as you read the scriptures and you hear the sermons, But the world has turned its back on the creator. And Jesus prays that the creatures of mankind would be kept in the Father's name and unified as one church on earth. He prays, Father, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Which you have given to me, Jesus says. The flock, the sheep, given to the shepherd. People given to their high priest, Jesus, for him to love and to care for you. That 
given, that givenness that Jesus speaks is of great importance, of great importance to you. Before faith, you were given to Jesus that you might belong to him. That one day you would access, have access to the Father, the kingdom of God, daily bread, and other such good things. When we hear the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, we have a tendency to place that givenness at the cross. The Father gave Jesus to die for sins, which is true, but it's also so much more. You belong to Jesus from the moment he entered into this world's flesh. The Father first gave his only son at the moment of conception in Mary's womb. So from the incarnation onward to the cross and through his death and resurrection, you were given to Jesus. The Father gave everything, everything to Jesus so that he would accomplish the salvation of the world. Yes, including salvation, redemption for and despite our sins and the sin of all that was or ever will be. That was Jesus' task given to him by the Father. And to illustrate this, we have Jesus praying. Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And isn't that so fascinating? Having accomplished the work you gave me to do, Jesus prays. What's interesting is how Jesus prays his pre-crucifixion prayer as though that bloody task has already been accomplished. Jesus prays as one who is already victorious and yet must help his people grapple with a reality yet unseen, a knowledge, a faith that is theirs but unacknowledged. Unacknowledged because the dead in sin cannot do anything to become alive and believe without Jesus. The importance of this cannot be overstated. We have not been given to Jesus after his death, as is our tendency to believe. Rather, we have belonged to him since his incarnation into human flesh and belonged to him all the way through his crucifixion and into his resurrection. That's what makes the crucifixion of Jesus so glorious despite its awful sting. When the crucifixion happens, we can boast that we have already been brought through Jesus' justifying victory as the work he has accomplished is already ours. His death over sin and his rising from the dead for eternal life is just as given to us as we have already been given to Jesus by the Father. And that's how much the Father loves you. That he gave you Jesus to bring you with him through his death and into his resurrection. He gave you Jesus so that you can say with St. Paul, we were therefore buried with him. We were therefore buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. So often we are shackled 
to the chronology of events, believing that faith means trusting in Jesus from afar. But it is quite the opposite. You were given to Jesus, brought near to him, so grafted into his life that you can say, I was there when he was crucified, and I was there when he rose from the dead because I was buried with him, with Jesus, through my baptism. And having been given to Jesus, you have been given the faith, the knowledge of all that Jesus has done for you. That's the power. That's the power and the authority of Christ. The power of the high priestly prayer is that Jesus prays to the Father as one who has monumentally changed the course of human history, even our history. In 1 Peter, the Christian church is called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, after the namesake of Jesus' title as our true high priest. It describes the world being called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the glory of God, Jesus' glory. It states, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are God's people. Once you were not a people, yes, of God's creation, but fallen sinners. And now you are of God's people, baptized and brought through Christ's mercy in that gift, a new creation in Christ through his burial into his resurrection. Jesus has declared you righteous. Jesus has said something about you that wasn't presently yours, but made yours in his death and resurrection. He gives these things to you through baptism. And though we sin much, and yes, there are those in the world who will reject the mercy Jesus gives in this gift, his love remains. This is why he came, sent of the Father, that he may save and rescue the world. The Father gave his only Son, that you would belong to him. And in return, Jesus prays, Father, I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. What a beautiful conclusion to the gospel. The deeds of Jesus are done, and man is saved. Finally, dear children of God, be at peace with God. The Father gave his only Son to this world that Jesus might give the world the words of eternal life. God's word is the truth that will unite his church, glorify him, and enable you, his people, to fulfill your calling in a troubled world. All because... You belong to Jesus, and he belongs to you. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And amen.